Welcome to today's episode of Confidently Anxious. In this episode, we are joined by Edwin Chow. Since deciding to replace drinking and partying with the project of building a van, Edwin has grown from people-pleasing to becoming his true self. So in this episode, Edwin shares his newfound purpose to equip, encourage, and empower others. This is important because after deciding who he wanted to be and gaining the confidence to actually share that in an honest way, Edwin was then able to meaningfully connect with people while living a life that reflected his fulfilling purpose. So whether it be spontaneous van life adventures or investing in real estate, Edwin reinforces the importance of investing in himself to grow. It's also worth noting that he has become extremely intentional with how he spends his time. That's a key component on grasping this idea of getting away from people pleasing and instead investing in yourself so that you can share that true meaning of who you are with those people around you to ultimately promote positivity, to be able to say no to some things so that you can say yes to the right things. You can follow Edwin in the show notes below. Uh, he's super active on LinkedIn, so feel free to follow him there. His name, Edwin Chow. You mentioned this all kind of kicked off when you went to military training. Maybe you can just explain how does being called to training work and um, yeah, like what was the tone going into it? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... It, it, it's fun. It, it's uh, it's awesome. So basically, I serve in the Army National Guard, and the National Guard is a component of the U.S. Army. However, there's three components. There's active duty, um, there's the reservist, and then there's the National Guard. Um, the active duty are full-time. That's their full-time job. Um, they are on uh, Title 10, and yeah, it, it's their full-time job, like eight to eight to five or whenever or however they're working. That's your full-time job. Uh, reservists, they just um, do one week in month, two weeks during the summer um, and additional training. Uh, so they are just going to be called upon um, if their unit is ready to cycle into a, uh, a, a, a title type order, right? So whether that's the deployment, um, whether I know uh, a lot of reservists are, um, you know, potentially overseas, but there's basically a cycle that they go on um, to deploy. And then the, the National Guard is the third component. And the third, it, they're, they're interesting because they fall under the Army. However, they serve both the President of the United States, so the federal government, as well as the governor of their state, which is the state government. So the difference is that the Army National Guard, they get called upon to do stateside missions. So, for example, uh, during I'm in the California National Guard. So um, during uh, fire season, June, July, August, which we're stepping into, um, we will almost always get activated to fight the fires out there if it gets really bad. Mm. Um, or uh, right now, a lot of buddies are on the Texas uh, mission. Um, so the Texas National Guard, as well as other National Guards, have been called up to go on the borders um, to prevent drug trafficking, human trafficking, weapon trafficking, oh, okay. uh, um, that kind of stuff, right? That being said, uh, you can also get called upon for federal missions like a deployment. So those are the, the different components of um, the, the Army, the active duty side reservist as well as the National Guard side. What, what made you choose that one? Yeah, that's a good question. So I um, wanted to serve. I've always had a desire to do it. Um, in high school, I thought it'd be like really cool and hua hua um, would be like awesome, uh, but chose a career path instead. So I went to university. I became, you know, a youth pastor, a teacher. Uh, but when COVID hit, everything changed. 
And the thing is, I was a, a sex ed teacher, so um, it was. I'll I'll just go on a a you know tangent right here, but I believe yeah. sex ed is like the most important class that we can teach our kids, um, because if we don't teach kids okay. about sex, then the internet will, and the internet is the worst place to learn about sex. Um, so that's where we talk about the human body, the anatomy. Um, we talk about STDs, STIs, um, but the large part now is consent. So uh, like, mm. hey, these are appropriate. These are um, appropriate ways to be pursued and be touched. However, if there's no consent, then it's super inappropriate. So we would just walk them through that. Um, and the sad part is uh, we would have to call child protective services um, every single class, right? Um, just because the kid realizes, and this is what your brain does, they, they realize there was trauma um, or they were uh, uh, wow. just you know, inappropriately uh, touched and they're like, oh, this is a bad situation. Maybe there's abuse in a relationship, whether that's their parents, whether. Um, so it's, wow. it's a very important class. Um, so, yeah. So you're saying that, which is awesome innovation for the whole sex education space is you're kind of teaching kids how to frame having sex more so that they're not just like jumping into these intense acts without knowing what they're getting themselves into. And then that's going to make them more susceptible to be negatively impacted by it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, um, it, it used to be, at least when I was growing up, even in public schools, like don't have sex abstinence, right? Like don't yeah. do it. Um, versus now the, the course, especially the one that I, I taught was more about, Hey, this is what contraceptives are. This is the, um, the results that you could have, uh, with sex. And are you ready to face the results? Right. Mm. So we don't actually even talk about abstinence. We're just talking about, this is a real thing. This is your human body. And more importantly, this is consent where if you are drunk at a party and I'm not, and, and we don't even shame them for going to parties, right? Um, even though they shouldn't be at the age of 16, you know, 15, 16, <laughs> yeah. 17, um, they shouldn't be drinking. But if you're drunk at a party and uh, someone comes and you want to have sex with someone, uh, that's not consent. Like you, you can't do that. Right. Um, yeah. And it's illegal and you can go to jail for it. Right. Um, not only that, but it's traumatizing. And we give them resources as well. It's like, Oh, like you have been raped. You, you have been molested. Like that's not okay. Um, it, it doesn't define you. It's not who you are. Um, and we can get you help. So we, we give them wow. resources as well. Wow. So that explains why you would need child protective services because they'd have an aha moment inside the classroom and start freaking out essentially. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad, but that's the aha moment. Um, but to go back to your original question, how I got into the army, yeah. it's, um, <laughs> I was, I was teaching sex ed, um, and COVID hit, uh, and teaching sex ed online is probably like the worst thing I've ever done with my life. It's just like so uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> as you can imagine, um, in the classroom, super comfortable, best class, captive audience, right? A lot of fun. Um, online, it's just like, hey, this is the anatomical, you know, body parts, and you're just showing them on a screen, and oh, the parents are walking back. And I was like, I can't do this. They're probably so, silent too. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. There's, it's like, what are you, you know, what's going on? But um, so that's when I decided to uh, join the Army National Guard. Um, 
because COVID hit, it was a good natural transition um, out of the teaching space uh, mm. and had the time and space to join. Got it. Okay. So then how does like being called to training work out? Do they tell you a date in advance whenever you're called to doing it? And also like, what is training like versus actually like doing um, like the, the work itself? Do you have experience with that too? Like what, what does all that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So it just depends on the training. Um, like I was just at a OPSEC training and that lasted like two weeks, right? A week, two weeks. Um, I have annual training that will last two weeks. Then you have like school training, specific school training, like basic training. Um, if you've heard about that, that's like 10 weeks. And that's like to become a soldier. I had officer candidate school um, and there's a different routes, but that can be anywhere from eight weeks to just doing your drill and set. So a, a, an 18 month pr process, right? Um, then there's also school specific training. Um, so for me, it was uh, engineer, basic officer, leadership course, and that's six months, right? Um, or there's AIT, advanced individual training, where um, a soldier learns their actual trade and learns their actual job. Um, and that can last, I know, for 68 whiskey, which, which is a combat medic, that lasts the entire year. Dang. Right? So, um, yeah, it just depends on the training itself um, as to how long it is and whether or not they give you an actual date in advance. That's a that's a sore subject for a lot of people. The, the quick <laughs> really? answer is yeah, yes, but not always, right? Uh, okay. It's like, hey, you're going to go to this, right? So yes, but not always. So it might be like a, hey, we need you to report here in like a month or something like that. Right. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Cool. So or uh, like tomorrow. <laughs> oh, oh my like, gosh. Hey, you, need, you need to show up tomorrow. It's like, oh, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> um. So what was your tone going into this training in particular, which I guess was your most recent one? Yeah. So engineer, basic officer, of course, honestly, I loved it. Um, I am super excited because the cool thing about the army is I, I say you get a place soldier for a day or two, right? Um, but for this course, especially is you cannot pay for this experience, right? Because um, as an engineer, you learn vertical engineering, horizontal engineer. So think buildings, verticals, plumbing, uh, whatever, HVAC, whatever goes into a building. Horizontal, think roads, um, think airstrips, right? Uh, so you get to learn how to create all that stuff. Um, but the, and you can, you can learn that stuff in a trade school, but something that you can't pay for is combat engineering, right? So that's where you learn how to um, do breaches. Engineers are the very first uh, people up on the front lines. Right. Um, so they create a breach. They move the obstacles in which then the infantry uh, get to go in as a result. Right. So engineers are super important. Um, they do bridging. Right. So there's a gap crossing. How do you get a soldier from point A to point B when there's a river in the middle? Right. So you, we have boats or we have like wow. bridges that you're able to deploy to get those soldiers across to continue mission. Right. Um, so you can't pay for experiences like those. You get to yeah. blow stuff up. You get to like set up obstacles. You get to like do all these cool stuff wow. um, that uh, you get to do urban breaches too, right? So how do you clear a room and how do you get inside a building to say catch the bad guys, right? Um, so it, it 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 was an exciting career um, trajectory and career break for a little bit while getting paid and while getting supported um, all at the same time, right? Um, so it's an experience that you can't um, pay for. And because of that reason, I absolutely 
loved loved my experience. Wow, amazing! And um, I know you said that there was a difference, like I guess in terms of your mindset going into this on how you would spend your time recreationally. Can you kind of just speak to where that came from and what that looked like during the training? Sure, absolutely. So you're in a, a for training, you're in a high pressure, high intensity um, environment, right? Where you, it we're training and, and it's done for a reason, right? Because um, hopefully we never have to do this, right? And we, war is never fun, uh, but they want to train you in that, in, in the event that you're, you're going and that you are actually, you know, um, doing the mission that, that we're trained for, then uh, they need to know that you're ready to, to execute, right? You're ready to actually do it. So it's, it's yeah. a high intensity, high, um, purpose training, right? Um, and as a result, uh, you basically wake up super early, uh, um, 5 a.m. every single day. You work out, um, you're tired, you then go to breakfast, then from breakfast, uh, you are in classes or you're out on the field every single, um, until 5, 6, maybe 7. Then you get back home and you have to do homework. Um, right. Um, and then you have maybe an hour or two to yourself before you have to wake up again at 5 a.m. Right. So it's just like exhausting. Oh. It, it, it's a wear and tear on the body. Um, and, uh, yeah. So recreationally, you don't have much to do. Um, you are on a base. You can't go out necessarily. Right. There's, there's not too much to do. Uh, you have the weekends. So you can go out. Um, we went to St. Louis a lot. Uh, yeah. But more than anything, a lot of uh, my peers would, you know, just play video games, drink, um, just try to escape from uh, the intensity of the training that's going on. Um, so that's what a lot of soldiers uh, would do, at least not soldiers, a lot of my peers would do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know we talked about this earlier, but I can relate in some way just with work being highly intense. It's so weird because there's it just... Uh, like substances or even like bad habits, like mindlessly scrolling through your phone. It just pairs with that mental exhaustion for some reason. Cause I guess you're going for cheap dopamine because you're so mentally exhausted from the intensity, but at the same time you want to like match the intensity elsewhere. Cause that's what you're used to. So right. it can become like a negative situation. Um, recently I've found running to be an awesome positive intensity pair um with right. work output but yeah i know you were saying that instead of opting for the video games and the drinking you kind of wanted to go in a different direction could you uh let me know what that looks like i chose not to engage in that hey let's just drink and you know just forget about the day or let's just drink over the weekend in preparation right and i chose not to opt into that and um because it was just devastating right uh, mental health uh, alcohol is depressing. So I was like, this, this isn't going to be healthy for me. This isn't going to be good for me. Um, so I, uh, instead bought a van, um, and I started building out a, uh, van, like a sprinter van. And if you can imagine doing van life out of it. Right. Uh, so, um, that's what I did instead. So after class, I would just go to Lowe's and just look at lumber it's like, oh, this is a good idea. Or look at tile or look at electrical. It's like, this is kind of like what I imagined the man to be. It's like, um, and yeah, I, I didn't know how to use a power tool at all. Um, I maybe used a drill before, I never saw. So 
bought like a starter kit of Craftsman wow. $200 starter kit uh, with like a sawzall and a circular saw and a drill and just started um, stripping the, the inside of the van and then um, creating um, like a bed frame in there out of wood. And it was just so much fun um, to do that uh, over the weekend. Um, not go out drinking, not going out partying. Um, instead, that was kind of my safe haven. Uh, it was wow. a, a good thing that I needed, right? Because it was a project that kept my mind busy, um, focused, and it almost gave me purpose in that that sense as well. Wow. Oh, I love that. And uh, I'm sure as you're building the van, was it a lot of solitude? Were you doing this by yourself? Was that kind of how you preferred it to be? Or... Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I would do it by myself. Sometimes I would have friends doing it um, because it, it was actually a project for them too. Um, and the nice. good thing about being in an engineer school uh, is that I don't have an engineer background. I have a religious studies background, right? And here I am trying to be an engineer. Here I am having a, an actual project to, you know, engineering project uh, like a van, right? It's like, yeah. And I have no idea what I'm doing. So whenever I would hit an obstacle and I would often hit an obstacle or needed to put in electrical, um, mm. I just hit up my buddy, you know, that's staying right next door to me. It's like, Hey, uh, am I going to burn down this van? <laughs> like, am I, like there's a hole in my van. How do I fix it? You know? Um, and they actually have the engineer know-how and the engineer background uh, to help me. So sometimes it would be nice. solitude, but. It, it was a good communal thing too. I was going to say, that's really cool that you were able to bring others together to get more of a community activity with something that has a positive long lasting outcome at the end of it, as opposed to just opting for like the short term dopamine drinking and so on. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a fun communal thing because if you can imagine you're in the, I mean, I didn't have, I was on base, right? So I'm in the, the middle of a parking lot where everyone's sleeping, where the barracks were at, right? like with a saw at 10 p.m. just cutting wood <laughs> in the middle of a parking lot. It's like, people are like, what the heck is this guy doing? And I'd just be having the time of my life just with drills. And you would just, people would stop by and say, oh, that's really cool. You know, like, um, so it was just a, a fun, again, project that we got to do. Why, why did you choose a van in particular? I know you said it gave you like something to do, a sense of purpose. It was a project. But yeah, like what um, was the, did you just stumble upon like somebody doing van life or something? And you said, that looks cool. I want to do that. Or yeah, it was, it was a lot of YouTube influence. And it's like, that would be cool one day to live in a van. Um, so that's, that's where that idea came from. And that's why I wanted to do it. Nice. Okay. Is that type of adventure kind of new to you or cause I guess, um, or maybe you didn't even care about the, the end of like the van being finished and actually putting it to use. Maybe you just wanted the, the project in the beginning. I don't know. Or yeah, it was more so I just wanted the project to begin with. Um, and now I just get to reap the benefit of having a sick van and traveling all over the place. Right. So for example, during ski season, I was just on the slopes and I would work from remote. I work for one of the world's largest remote company. Um, and we don't even have an office and, uh, I just work remote out in Lake Tahoe and then I was like, ah, these slopes are really cool, but I want to try other slopes. So then I go to Epic City um, in Utah. I was like, oh, like these cooler slopes are awesome, but let's go to Colorado, right? And I go to Colorado and ski, right? So it was just awesome just having the benefit of having a van that I could just travel around. 
uh, financially, it's stable because I don't have to pay rent. Um, I don't have to pay for a hotel. I just live in a van and sleep in a van in a Walmart parking lot <laughs> and wow. call it a night. <laughs> so much fun. Dang, that sounds amazing. Um, was it, was there any, uh, I guess, initial like mental hurdles to actually executing on living that lifestyle in the beginning or were you just like, I'm jumping for it. Let's go. <laughs> Right. So, so, um, yes, there absolutely were. Right. Thankfully, um, I wasn't attached to one location because I just got back from military training. Um, so I didn't necessarily have roots. I was already uprooted. So it's like, okay, like, where do I want to settle down? And then I was like, okay, I'm not actually settled anywhere. So I'm just going to up and leave. Right. I'm going to go. Um, so it, that's, that's a tough part, right? Like as cool as van life is, is you don't have necessarily community like I would if I was in one space, one location at one time. I can just hit up with friends like, hey, let's let's hang out, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the tough part um, about van life and definitely a mental hurdle that you had to overcome. And then there's always the physical hurdle of like, I'm living in a van. This isn't a house. I don't have a full kitchen. I don't have a bathroom. I don't have, you know, a closet. So how am I going to make this work space work for me? So definitely, definitely a lot of hurdles to overcome. I was going to ask like what the realities of van life really are, um, with the, um, adventure component, like, like what, where do you go to the bathroom for instance? How does that work out or shower? Like, I guess yeah. just imagining I would go in the direction of maybe like gym locker rooms or something like that. Maybe have like a plan of fitness membership, but I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yep. You got it. I, I okay. have a lot of one day passes uh, just to take showers. I have my, my gym bag and it looks like I'm ready to work out and I just take a shower. I don't leave. That's, that's how I've uh, done it is gym membership, one day passes. Um, as far as the bathroom, um, yeah, gas stations. So uh, some vans do have a shower head and a bathroom. Mine doesn't. Got it. And, and then what about food? Do you have like a – I know some people have their vans super decked out and they got like a kitchen in there or something. Is, did you build that? Right. So I do have a kitchen um, in there. However, I just opted into the super easy jet boil. And I don't know if you've had like a jet boil um, – and there's like those protein bags where you just pour water in it and you just start eating. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like a meal ready to eat kind of deal that you can get at REI, any camp store, right? Um, okay. It's high protein. It's actually really good. Uh, not really good. It's pretty good food. Um, but sometimes <laughs> yeah. I make sandwiches, right? Sandwiches, just easy stuff um, to nourish my body. Nice. Um and then uh, really quick, just to kind of go back, because I'm just curious, what was the, uh, yeah, this is like kind of way back, but I'm curious, what was the buying decision process like for getting the van? Just for like people who might want to get into it and they don't know where to start necessarily. And then I guess followed, what was the um, the building buying process like also? So the thing is with vans, you can get a brand new van. In fact, I was looking at a brand new um, you know, like a 2019, 2020, something that doesn't have that many miles on it, um, brand new and build it out. And thankfully I did it because number one, it costs a lot more money. Number two, I would be a lot more anxious in putting a hole in. Like there's this one time I wanted to put a window in, um, and I was just cutting the van and it kept breaking my blade because I didn't realize there were supports at the back. And I was like, I would have mm -hmm. been freaking out if the van 
cost me $80,000 and I had a loan on it, right? Because I literally just told the vehicle, right? Putting uh, a hole in the van. Um, so there's that route that you can do. Um, maybe one day I'll do that route. Maybe, probably not, right? Um, or you can just buy a used one. I use Facebook Marketplace. I scoped out the internet uh, for probably a week, two weeks. Uh, and honestly, I got lucky. I, I got this van um, for $18,000, uh, right? And it was a large investment. Um, it was all the money that I had. Uh, that being said, I knew that I would get the money back just saving it in rent in hotel rooms, which I've already done, right? Plus four. Nice. Um, so it was just an investment um, that, you know, people have to uh, be, be ready to make. Um, and then as far as like all the materials, I opted into buying pretty nice materials. I'll send you pictures or I'm sure there'll be pictures of it. Uh, so, um, just wanted to use the, the good material for something that I'm living in. Right. Uh, so I spent anywhere from 6,000 to 7,000, but that's including tools, um, in, in the whole thing and the whole build. And then I guess you would just leverage like YouTube content and so on to figure out what type of materials you need and, and like how to build it. Yes. Lots of YouTube. There a, lo a lot of YouTube. Yes. Got it. I, I love what you said too, about like spending all the money in your bank account. Cause especially now at this point in our lives or how old are you? I'm 28. 28. Yeah. I feel like, um, there's a lot of value to positioning experience as much more valuable than finances in certain chapters of your life, for instance. So like the experience you've gained from just living van life compared to saving that extra 18 K is probably like incomparable. I would imagine. Sure. It, it is. And, um, and I understand that I'm in a unique position. I don't have kids. Yeah. Um, I'm not married. Point. I'm, I'm single, right? So um, I understand not only that, but I don't have debt because I've been, I, I was very fortunate to get a full ride scholarship to go to university. Not only that, but I've been saving up. And um, so I understand that I'm in a very unique position. And For sure. I also understand that um, a lot of people, just since we're talking about finances, a lot of people think that we should save, save, save. Um, and I would actually disagree. Um, I would say that we, you could save and I think it's wise to save and not to spend your money. Um, but I believe it's, it's more so, Hey, let's just invest, invest our nice. finances, um, in both assets, which like a van, a home, um, not necessarily bonds and stocks. I, I, I think that's just more risky and I don't understand it. So that's what I don't do that stuff. Um, okay. but power to people that do. Um, but also invest in yourself, like education, uh, courses, yes. um, mental health counseling, yes. uh, physical, you know, like gym. So, um, those are, that's, that's my, uh, in, if, if I knew what I knew now, um, I would encourage the younger me to just continue to invest in again, um, assets as well as myself. I love that, man. Seriously, that is just such an important thing to grasp because it's so easy or you get told like, hey, just like start investing most of your money in, I don't know, even index funds is like widely encouraged, which is a great income stream, um, like long term. But investing in learning and yourself and your mental health is just going to set you up forever. And um, it, it's a way to 
inspire you also like you investing in your van like yeah that's an asset it's your home but you're also investing in experience which comes with so much learning that's going to impact your mental going forward which in turn is going to inspire you to invest in yourself and then who knows like maybe some level of entrepreneurship comes out of that and that's how you get your money in the end you know what i mean so exactly and and it's giving your yourself permission to fail right where I feel like, especially in this culture, I don't know, you know, if you grew up this way, but uh, we're coddled a lot of the times, like by parents. I used to be a teacher, so I saw this a lot with my students, but uh, they're just coddled. It's like, oh, I, I failed this test or I, you know, messed up on this this game, you know, sports. You know, to them, that's just the world, right? Yeah. And they refuse to try again because they don't want the um, emotion or the feeling of failing. I understand that. But my philosophy is, hey, I'm actually going to work until I fail. Um, I'm going to keep doing this until I fail. And then when you fail, you're able to do two things. You're, you have an opportunity now to learn, which is always, always awesome. You also have the opportunity to ask for help. Um, and in how asking for help, you just gain a mentor, right? You just gain wow. um, a friend. You gain someone that has emotional stock in your life now. So always work wow. to, to fail every single time. I That's great. I, I like how you tied it to that being like an optimal position to like attract a mentor inside of your life because that type of connection is like invaluable inside of itself. Absolutely. Do you have like men mentors throughout your life that you've kind of, I mean, maybe you're staying with one right now. I don't know. <laughs> right. But. Sure thing. Yeah. I, I have so many mentors in my life, thankfully. Um, and just people that, and peers, people that just speak into my life. Right. Um, so I believe that, uh, just let light in a mentor invited me one time is like, Hey, just challenge me. It's like, Hey, live a life without any secrets. At that point, that was like tough because wow. right? I was prideful. I had, you know, like I had a lot of stuff going on. I was like, what are you talking about? And sure enough, I took his advice and started sharing about my depression, shared, uh, started sharing about my alcoholism, sharing, started sharing about my past, shared, sharing about my finances, right? And just as I started sharing, um, a couple of things happened is light was brought into dark places. Um, and I, I felt free from those, um, those things that were holding me back from uh, living the life that I know that I could live, right? For example, alcoholism. It's like, yeah, I used to, I used to drink um, a lot, <laughs> actually, right? Yeah. And it just wasn't helping me become the person that I wanted to become. Um, mm. So now I'm, it's June 1st, so now I'm almost, uh, I'm 150 plus days sober, right? And I'm not even counting the days anymore because I'm just living a free life from that. Wow. Right? Um, and I think it, it's awesome. Um, when I was struggling with depression, right? It's like, um, I was hiding it because I need to put on a face. I need to make sure people knew that I was doing, you know, like the best life. And I was like, awesome and amazing. Um, but that's not true. Right? Like just live a life without secrets and share where you're at. And the, the reality is people want to help. People want to be there. People want to be present. Um, so are you shutting them out and being so selfish mm. that you're shutting them out, not giving an invitation to your life? Or are you allowing yourself to be known, seen and heard? Um, and when you're known, seen and heard, you're, you're deeply and fully loved. Wow. Beautiful. Where do you feel that that, um, I guess, lying to yourself stems from or that that closed uh, mindedness and maybe even closed heartedness inside? Where do you feel like that? 
I guess comes from initially? Yeah, I think it's it comes from um, self, right? It comes from uh, the pressures of the world, um, and at the core of it, belief um, mm. is that I believe this lie about me that I have to, or this is how this person perceives me. This is how my parents have to perceive me. So uh, I'm going to live up to their expectation by just telling them that I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Um, wow. It, it's when we stop living unto other people's expectations and start living free. And it's like, this is who I am. Um, not in a prideful, arrogant way. Um, that's when you're allowed to, um, again, allow darkness to come out and live in light. Wow. I, I love that because you can still do it in a respectful way. That's not people pleasing, but you can be yourself at the same time and your true honest self. You should strive to be just a respectful, good person within that as well. Um, yeah, it's very interesting how uh, long somebody can lie to themselves and they form like this misrepresented identity, I guess, and you start believing that. And then um, honesty is just such a good, I guess, accountability metric. Because once you, I guess in your case, are you saying that once you got it out there, once you express it and like you hear yourself out loud and you start actually putting that into action, it's kind of like a accountability to look at yourself and say like, okay, this doesn't feel right or this feels wrong. Right. Um, absolutely. Right. And I think a, a lot of the question is too, is like, who do you want to be? Right. So, so often we ask the question growing up, right. It's like, what do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? It's like, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be, you know, an astronaut. I want to be a unicorn these days. Right. And it's like, okay, kid, you do you. I don't know what that means, but, but you do you, right? It's like, Go for it. I'm not going to tell you, you can't be a unicorn, but I don't even know what that means, right? Um, but a lot of the questions we ask is like, what, 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 right? Um, and that's psychologically, I think it's, it's this idea of like, oh, I have to become that. Mm. Um, where the question is, isn't what do you want to be, but who do you want to be? Um, who who do you want to be to your family? Who do you want to be to your friends? Do you want to be a burden? Um, do you want to be, you know, encouraging? Do you even want them in your life? Right? Those are real questions. Um, or do you want to be someone who is supportive, someone who is love lovely, who's someone who is um, confrontational, someone who will fight for what is right? Uh, who who are you going to be? Um, and when you have that stake in your life, like this is who I want to be, um, then that will allow you to say yes to opportunities, no to others. Right. I, I, I say that there's, um, you, you need to discover your mission in life. Right. And when you discover your mission in life, that's when you have a funnel because I get thousands, you get thousands of invitations and, um, to do something right every single day. Yeah, And you only have time to say yes to maybe one to 10 of those things, right? Uh, depends what it is. But the thing is, when I know who I am, I actually have a filter of like, okay, is this going to, for me, I'm a person that wants to empower, encourage, and equip. So I ask myself, okay, with this invitation to, um, you know, uh, go out partying or drinking as kind of a outlier example, not outlier, but like drastic example, right? It's like, is it going to allow me to encourage someone, empower mm -hmm. someone or um, uh, encourage empower or to equip someone? No. All right. I'm going to say no then. Wow. 
right? Um, or it's this opportunity to, I'm currently in Indianapolis, right? Uh, visiting friend and it's like, okay, is this, I, I'm going to spend some time, just spend a couple of days. And, uh, my heart is to encourage, equip and empower, right? Um, just this, this friend of mine that I try to see every single year, right? And that's an easy yes for me. Um, it doesn't mean I say yes to it every single time, but I was like, okay, this is something I desire. This is who I want to be. Wow. So I'm going to say yes to it for a little bit. Oh, man. For, for this time. So beautiful. That is just such a a great guide for you because I, I guess the way I'm seeing it is how if you focus on who you want to be, that's naturally just going to reflect what you become later on if you just focus on the mm-hmm. who part first. And then now look, right. look, someone like with this episode, like the title being, you know, that you own two two homes but live in a van, you know, like if you strove for that, but you weren't tying in like who you are, like within that pursuit, then it, it wouldn't look the same. You probably wouldn't be as fulfilled. You would just be somebody with a van and an Airbnb and no value or appreciation attached to it on like who you're becoming along the journey. Exactly. It's that, um, I'll be honest, right? Uh, I am the same person of, I started a food truck too in the teddy bear business and used to be a teacher and youth pastor. And those are the three things. How can I equip, encourage and to empower? I'm saying everyone has to equip, encourage, empower. Yeah. I like alliterations. I think like R, right? So your your name starts with R, right? So how can you, I don't know, redeem, recover, righteous. and all the three, three <laughs> righteous, you know, it's like, yeah, like three R's, right? But it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. But yeah, at the end of the day, that's cool. having a mission statement to say yes and to say no, right? Um, so I guess I, I like framing my life as having sort of a life path um, to be accountable on. And then that has different like character values that ground me to stay disciplined, I guess. And then I I guess kind of what you're alluding to the value of discipline is it's going to be fulfilling and sustainable long-term. Whereas if you're always saying yes to those short-term kind of rush outcomes that aren't necessarily meaningful, it's just going to like impact you on an overall scale of um, unfulfillment. Right. Yes. I, I would say so. Um, even if you're doing all these awesome, cool stuff, right? But you don't, it's not aligned with your mission. Um, um, it, it may be not be fulfilling, right? Hate to yeah. say it, <laughs> but it might not be fulfilling. No, that's, that's so true. And it's important to, um, have a sense of your identity tied with that mission and what it looks like for you in particular, I think is really important too. Cause like what you were saying, doing cool things, it's so easy to get caught up in what someone else is about to where you don't even realize you're trying to become what they are, which deviates from like what feels like inherent to you, which can deviate to just being unsatisfied and unfulfilled altogether as well. Um, right. Com- exactly. Trap. When you, when, when you are striving to become someone you're not, it is, it will be a trap. It is a trap. Right. And that's what we see within, I don't know why I'm on this party culture. <laughs> um, hate, but that's what we see in the party culture is that I was, I was just talking to a friend and she was like, yeah, I actually hated it, but I just felt like I needed to go to these parties and do the things they were doing. Right. Um, because I just felt like I needed to, to feel something and to be someone. Right. But yeah. now she's looking back and she's like, yeah, I hated that. And that's not who I wanted to be. Right. And some people love it. Right. Some people really thrive in that culture. So 
you know, I guess there's some redemptive part of it, but you know, it's sure. at this, the end of the day, right? It's like, hey, uh, who do you want to be, and what are we going to say yes to um, to help us get there? More importantly, what are we going to say no to um, to help us get there? Yes, and when you were saying some people are about it, which is cool. Um, I guess kind of like a good um, thing for people to just like take away, I guess the audience to reflect on is where you're at and just being honest with yourself on where you're at. Cause yeah, maybe you do go through a party phase and that's cool. Like, you know, you have to maybe go through that to like get somewhere else at some point. But, um, if you're like lying to yourself and you keep partying and it's lifeless, like be honest with yourself on if it feels empty or not. Um, that's a good way to steer you forward. Right. Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, just, just live a life without secrets. Um, and that means secrets to yourself as well, right? Like do some introspection for sure. What, what would you say living um, van lifestyle has brought out of you as a person just in terms of, cause like the way I'm seeing it, just you jumping from place to place. I mean, maybe you're saying yes to more opportunities than others because now you're you know, your mobile. I, I would say it's it's made me become more intentional. So more intentional with my time. And again, going back to this yes and no thing, right? It's saying, yes, I will be in Indiana to go to your graduation, right? And that's literally why I'm in Indiana. I have uh, some of my high school students who I love dearly. Um, they have their grad parties on Friday or Saturday, Sunday. Um, and I flew back for that, right? It's like, I, I love it. And because of that, I'm in, again, Indiana, lived there nine years. Um, but now I get to teach uh, and, and just be part of this small little conference um, thing going on, right? And I just get to be a teacher um, in that space for uh, evangelism, discipleship, um, and just, wow. yeah. Um, and it's it's awesome. I love it, right? Um, that being said, because of that, I had to say no to some family things going on, right? So, um, it's just, this van journey has just made me very more intentional of like, okay, Hey, I have this van. How am I going to use this stewardship? This, so on Tuesday, I'm going down to Kentucky with a buddy, um, and just rock climbing, right. And just being intentional with him and just spending time with him. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my journey of just being intentional with my time. Wow. Okay. So since the van has opened up so many possibilities for different experiences. Now you really have to be accountable and saying, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm not about at a given moment, which is right. really empowering. Cause I guess a common theme with you, d- d- have you been like kind of people pleasing in the past where you would kind of just like say yes to a bunch of things and that would ultimately make you feel empty inside? Oh, for sure. I was definitely a people pleaser. I wanted to, you know, do what my parents want, not, you know, want me to do. I wanted to do, I used to work for a church, right? I used to do what, you know, like uh, church folks yeah. wanted me to do or wanted me to say, right? Um, and I was like, this just isn't right. It's just lying to them and lying to myself, right? And this is who I am, right? Um, so yeah, that's a, a pretty big people pleaser. Um, but now I'm not because I, I feel like people people please because they don't know who they are. Yeah. Um, but once you are strong in your identity and you know who and whose you are, um, then uh, not that there's no people pleasing, 
but that's not my priority anymore. It's to, it's to equip, encourage, and to empower. That's who I am. Nice. That's who I want to be. And mm-hmm. people respect that. And when you say no to certain things and yes to others, you start attracting the things you say yes to. And um, right. it's still good to be open-minded and curious though, because you don't want to only attract the same thing forever. But but um, it's good to have a grasp on how if you can't say no, it's just going to make you weak because you're living for everyone else instead of, you know, like with those that matter, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you living for? What are you living for? Um, again, it's not it's not about what we do with our time. It's about um, who we are. Um, yeah. And just naturally, you have to spend time, <laughs> you have to spend yeah. time with either yourself or. Right. And, and I think the people pleasing thing is like people would want me at things all the time because I was a hype man. I was a, you know, like brought, brought so much fun, but it's like, yeah, you seem fun. Yeah. Honestly. I, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, it's fun, but it's like, this is exhausting. I just need to spend time by myself. Right. Um, so I've learned to say no. It's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun, but I actually am just gonna, um, and I thought it was loneliness, right? But just to reframe it, it's not loneliness. Because I'm gonna, I need to spend time just by myself, right? Yeah. And people are like, "Oh, that's so lonely." It's like, no, it's just like reframing. It's like, I just need to spend time in solitude, right? Yeah. Um, and that's it. It's it's not lonely. It's just because you're spending time with yourself to read a book or to paint or to do something, right? Isn't lonely. It's just solitude and it's intentional. Right. Yeah. I'm, and because I do that, I'm better able to be cool and fun nice. and awesome in myself when I'm, I'm, but it's not this for that. Right. It's just that yeah. this is who I am. This is what I need. So when I am who I am and do what I need, then I'm able to be who I am and, um, in a, in a space with people. Amazing. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a, it's a whole nother connection in life is connection with yourself, mindfulness, um, and that's also an opportunity to really like reflect with yourself too. um, restore, maybe even like reflect on, you know, your relationship, like spiritually, just all those components that can be like really valuable on just spending time alone and being mindful. I love getting out in nature, right. uh, by myself too. And just like love it. connecting with nature, just like feeling it, you know what I mean? Like not thinking too much. It's, uh, it's a beautiful part of life. And if people aren't doing that, they're missing out for sure. <laughs> right. So right. That's awesome. To wrap up the van thing. Do you have like one cool story to share from van life? If you had to narrow it down to one. Man, one cool story. Um, the, the cool story with van life is I, I didn't know how to use a power tool. Right. Um, and that's my favorite part about it than even having the van itself or getting to go um, places is I am proud of the work. I'm proud of the van that I've created um, wow. and the growth journey where I'm when I do another one and I'm probably going to do another one. It's like almost an addiction to me now. Right. Um, I know how I'm going to do it so much better. Right. Not only that, but when because I built the van out um, now that I, I own two homes as well right um i'm able to do stuff around the house that i wouldn't have even dreamed about um because i have that experience so that's the cool my favorite part about the van life journey it's just the experience and the learning that happened with with the process of building out wow man awesome thanks for like um 
giving that testament because you don't usually you just look at like where people are going and it's cool, but the actual building process is where it sounds like a lot of the growth came from. Yeah, the most fun. <laughs> cool. Um, okay, so what sparked you to go completely sober from alcohol? And I guess if you could point to why you chose to like cut cold turkey versus just, I don't know, drinking in moderation, having a couple of drinks once in a blue moon or something like that. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, yeah, I've been sober for this will be month six. So since uh, December and really it was three things. It was number one. Um, I wasn't becoming the person I wanted to be whenever I was drinking. If it, if it was beer, if it was, you know, uh, a glass of bourbon, whatever it was, it just wasn't helping me become the person I, I wanted to be. Um, so that was pretty convicting. Number two, it's just expensive. Every year um, in December, I do a line by line budget item. It's like, okay, where did my money actually go to? And it was crazy because one of the bars that I was a regular at, um, it had its own line item. Like it, it had its own percentage of about 13% of my finances went to this bar, which is again, really convicting. Wow. I was like, yikes. Um, and just the third thing is, uh, I had a bad night drinking. Um, it was probably like the worst night drinking and I got home and I was like, how in the world did I get home? Then I looked outside and sure enough, my vehicle was there, no damage or anything. But I was like, that was not wow. good. And that is not yeah. good. Right. Scary. So that was also a convicting moment. Um, and just with a lot of conviction, I was like, I, I need to give this up because um, it's not it's not going to be uh, healthy. It's going to get me killed. Right. Wow. Um, and I guess I said three reasons. There's a fourth reason. But I understood why I was drinking alcohol. And that was just to run away from pain and trauma and just mm. uh, the the life around me because I didn't want to deal with the emotions or, or feelings or anything like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I gave up alcohol and it's it's been hard. Um, I gave up alcohol, then two weeks later, I go to Las Vegas um, for a work trip and uh, like- Fun. Like, yeah, I mean, and work trips, uh, thankfully, you know, um, you know, sometimes the, the directors on up will pay for, for really nice drinks. And this was the case in Vegas. And it was, it was tough because everyone around me was, was, you know, uh, enjoying a beverage and I was not, um, and I was like, yeah. Oof. So, um, that started off, but it was also really good because, well, if, if you can say no to alcohol in Vegas, uh, that's for the most part free then. You know, <laughs> yeah. You, you can say no when you're by yourself and, and don't want to drink, right? So, yeah, wow, that's really coincidental because um, I, I took like a month or two off of drinking, and I had a work conference in Vegas right when I decided to do it. Also, yeah, and uh, yeah, being sober when everyone's wasted in Vegas, it's very apparent in Vegas. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the runaway from pain and trauma piece. So, would it? Would you start to feel like the onset of some type of um, like negative emotion and then like subconsciously you would just go for the alcohol? Is that kind of how it would start or was it more like routine like, oh, okay, it's like it's Friday now, it's time to go hit the bars or something? 
Yeah, I think it was it was both. Like I would try to create boundaries for myself of okay, I'm not going to drink by myself at home, right? But then I, you know, was at a friend's house and there's extra uh, white claws or something, right? I was like, well, mm. I mean, it's there, so might as well just drink it, um, right? And that was again just to run away from the the pain. And it's like I was alone at home and I felt lonely or I felt sad or I felt angry that day, right? And it's like, ah, it's easy to just drink. Um, and then yeah. as far as the other component to it, uh, yeah, that that too, it was regular, it was routine. If I wanted to see all these different friends, right, it would always be around alcohol. So, hey, let's go grab mm. a drink. Hey, let's go to the bar. Hey, let's go. And it was like, I... And again, it was tough because for a little bit, like I would stop spending time with those friends. Or if I did, I just wouldn't be drinking and, you know, would just get made fun of the entire time. It's like, okay, (laughs) you know, so it was, it was tough at first for sure. Dang. Yeah. I, I guess a good metric is, I guess, uh, reflecting on whether the substance is making you less, um, or not which um, I can relate to a lot of times when I'm drinking too much. I feel like it's making me less like cumulatively because you drink every weekend for a month or something like that. And you're like, how am I spending my weekends? It's kind of adding to this overarching anxiety. That's just like, Mm -hmm. like piling up on top of each other. Um, So yeah, that's been my experience. And then also being in uh, high drinking environments, like that story you were talking about where you had a bad night that's like me too. Cause if there's a lot of alcohol around me and I start drinking, I don't realize like how much I've had and like when to stop. That doesn't right. every time, even if I put a limit on myself before you know it, I'm like blacking out. So right. yeah, I've definitely had to like put a lot of um, limits on myself in those contexts. Right. So. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary. So what's the journey been like being sober so far? Like in the beginning, was it boring at first? I, I saw this clip from uh, like John Mayer. This it was this one Instagram clip, and he was saying like your baseline kind of like goes down at first, so it's boring. But then like your entire baseline goes up because you're sober. Whereas obviously with alcohol, it's like your baseline goes up and then back down, kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's different. Um, I would say initially it was probably like the most restful ever. Because instead of staying out till like one, two, three, and just getting hung over, I would just go to bed at a decent time on Friday, wake up early on Saturday, show up to, you know, CrossFit or the gym in the morning and get a pump in. And it's like, I feel rested. I feel nice. good. So I had like the immediate benefit of that. That being said, I feel like there was, a, 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 you know, withdrawal symptoms right. Of like mm. the headaches or just like the desire for that as well. So, um, give and take, right. Give and take. What, what about like a social, um, withdrawal at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that definitely happened as well. Right. Um, again, friends would go out and I'd be like, no, I'm like, I'm going to stay in today. And you just stop hanging out with friends or they stop inviting you to stuff. Or, uh, what about when you're actually socializing with them, like connecting with people? A lot of times people use alcohol, to like better connect under that mindset um what what was that like like would it cause you to kind of bring a yeah. different part out of you because you had to use your natural energy to do so right um so for me i'm already naturally very curious and very 
like outgoing. I'll have conversations with people. Right. So for me, that didn't impact uh, my social life as much. You got it. Okay, cool. Well, that's yeah, nice. if anything, because of alcohol, it increased it. Cause I just, uh, I feel th- there's like different kinds of, um, uh, drinkers, right? Like some people get aggressive. Some people get sad. Some people get lonely. Some people like, I just chill. It's like, oh. all right, just leave me alone. Don't want to talk to anyone. Right. So that's <laughs> wow. question. It's like, it's like, I'm just like, I'll get a drink and don't want to talk to anyone. Right. Wow, uh, so I don't okay. know what, what type of drinker is that? Like, sad (laughs) (laughs) i guess (laughs) it's probably good you're sober (laughs) um so um i i guess what i'm trying to get at for the audience is what type of advice would you give for people who are thinking about going sober and like i guess maintaining consistency with it or like having a true reason for doing so because i think a lot of people probably go through the oh it's kind of getting popularized that alcohol is not good for you. So I'm just going to go sober. But then it's like, if you go all or nothing like that, maybe you're not setting yourself up for consistency all that much. Maybe you're going to, you know, your version of a relapse. I don't know. What, what would you say? Sure. I think it's, uh, it's, it's to understand a couple of things. The first one is to understand yourself. Um, one, why do you drink? Right. Um, for me, again, I discovered my why I, was running away from pain and trauma, and that's why I was drinking. So I, by understanding your why, you're able to identify how to attack that, right? Number two is why do you not want to drink, right? And I actually think that uh, health is a good reason. You know, popularization is a good thing, or social norms is a good thing within that. But why do you not want to drink? For me, I had, again, financially it was tough. It, it was scary. Um, you know, waking up and it's like, how the heck did I get here? And then the third part of that, it was, it was just not good um, for who I wanted to become. Right. So understanding the why, and when you decide, if you decide to make that decision to stop alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, really, once you make that decision, the, the mm-hmm. focus then isn't to, to constantly gauge that I did not drink today. I did not drink today, but rather it's mm-hmm. to actually look past it. And when you look past it and say, Hey, I accomplished this goal today, or I am one step closer to financial uh, uh, freedom, or I'm one step closer uh, to wow. becoming who I want to be because of that workout. Right. Once you look past the alcohol, it's just a red herring at that point. Right. It's like, Oh, Hey, give, give me attention. Good job. You're not doing it. Pat yourself on the back. Give me attention, right? Mm. I think it's just a red herring. Honestly, I don't know when I stopped, and I don't know how, how many days I've been. I know I stopped in December of last year. Um, don't know how many days I've been, but I'm not even thinking wow. about it because I'm just going, and, and I'm looking past the goal, right? Wow, I love that because you're directing your focus on what's actually going to fulfill you instead of the thing you're trying to run away from, which is not right. going to fulfill you. Right, wow. exactly. Have you ridden a motorcycle? um at all or uh no my wife would get anxiety <laughs> okay okay it's dangerous right and i totally understand but when in motorcycle class they tell you that hey if you see an obstacle in front of you so say that's alcohol don't look at it look past it because whatever you look towards mm. you're actually going to naturally lean towards right so if there's a tree uh, or there's like something in the road you don't look at it you actually look at where you want to go and that's where you can lead the motorcycle 
Okay, interesting. So you acknowledge it's there, but you don't focus on it. You focus on what's past. Right. Wow. Okay, great. Nice, man. Thanks for sharing that. Um, that's a good testament for people on like where to actually direct your focus. Cause you might be saying, Oh, I'm doing so good staying away from alcohol, but you're focusing on like that. It can be easy to do that. And maybe that's setting you up to relapse more. Right. Um, so nice. Um, so I guess to go off of what you were saying on putting that energy to a different uh, area or a different goal, maybe this is a nice segue into how you now own two homes despite living in a van. Right. Um, so yeah, can you talk to how that was the goal that I guess just unfolded naturally for you? Yeah. So again, I, I own two homes, but I live in a van and uh the, the Airbnb game, it's very interesting and it's always intrigued me of you can get an asset and you gain finances just because of an asset period, right? If the market continues to go up, not only that, but you can cash flow off it. And as long as you make that initial investment and cash flow well, like it, it doesn't touch your personal finances again, that intrigued me, right? Mm. Um and my brother and I, we've been talking about it for, for a little bit, for about nine months. And you're like, hey, let's get a house in Florida. Let's get a house in North Carolina. Let's get a house in Tahoe. And, and we really thought it would be like more vacation rental kind of deal. And just as we were looking, nothing on the market was within our price range in a viable location or with uh, the viable space that we needed. So... Um, I lived in Indiana for about seven years. I knew that the market would continue to go grow. It's the fastest growing market, uh, one of the top 10 fastest growing um, markets and cities um, in, in the U.S. right now. So I was like, okay, even if the Airbnb does not go well, I believe that we'll make finances of that, right? Because again, there's three financial components to this. There's the cash flow component, so the actual business operation side of things. The second component mm -hmm. to this is there's the appreciation asset of your home will increase or decrease in value in five to 10 years, right? Um, so there's the, that asset to it, and then there's the asset um, in, in general, right? So you can, mm -hmm. because you have an asset you can now use it to leverage more money from banks eventually somewhere down the road as you're gaining this, right? So a HELOC loan, for example, is taking a property that you own and however much money you have in it, taking it out, um, another loan on it to free up some of those finances, right? So there's three financial components and games that you can play. Um, so I was like, okay, if, if we don't cash flow, then at least we'll have one, um, if not two, right? So sure enough, uh, a home pops up in the market uh, right next to this park where everyone does their weddings, Lakeside Park. Uh, it's waterfront, so I'm I'm in it right now, and I'm I'm seeing water right just outside the window, which is gorgeous. And um, it pops up, and I'm like, let's let's do this thing. Um, so we we purchased the the property, um, and we were only able to do that because uh, I set myself up to do that. So if, if you're looking to get into an Airbnb, the very first step is not to look at property or to do the market research or anything. It's not. The first step is to actually talk to a loan agent to see what you pre-qualify for. Because mm -hmm. if you don't go through that portion, 
Um, you don't even know what you can afford. You don't like, it's just pipe dreams that you want to buy this home in this neighborhood, uh, but you can't even purchase it. So it's kind of a wasted dream unless, right. And what the loan agent can do is they can say, this is what you can qualify for. This is how much money the loan will bank give out and, or, oh, you want this. This is what you need to do in order to increase your credit and to save up to do that. Um, right. So. Yeah, that's kind of uh, the process of getting into an Airbnb. Um, oh, and I set myself up because I got pre-qualified. I got my pre-approval letter, and you can't put an offer in on a home without that pre-approval letter. So because I had that, I was actually able to compete on this home. As far as taking out a loan goes for people who are maybe very risk-averse and don't really understand like assuming that type of liability, what uh, type of advice would you give there? Um, you know, I, I get it. And it's just the advice is what, what do you want to do and who do you want to become? Um, how do you want stop working for money is my advice and have money start working for you. That's, that's the biggest advice I can give because yeah, you can continue to work in your nine to five job. You can continue creating a nest egg or like savings. Do it if that's what you want. Right. Um, but you'll do that the rest of your life unless you capture this mindset, this framework of how am I going to allow my finances to start working for me? Yeah. And allocating your resources towards that. I, I also like how seemingly like getting an Airbnb might seem risky to some, but you justified it through those three reasonings that kind of add to the security of it all through like having cash flow appreciation and the asset itself. Um, and then as far as the loan goes, like what's the, so I guess you just pay an interest rate on that. And then like, how long are you, what, what's the goal there? Are you just like, you just pay that off just like, and you just assume that liability and keep it there until you sell the home. And then you're like, that's kind of like the place of comfortability because you're getting cash flow in the house and so on. Right. Whether it's an Airbnb or a long-term rental, right? So you have renters or whether you're staying on it, um, the loan process works the same. Where for a 15, 20 or 30 year fix, depends on the loan you get. I suggest 30 because you can pay off longer. So in other words, the interest will be higher. However, you have more time to uh, pay off, right? So the, the mm. week monthly payments will actually be lower. Um, and I'm a big component proponent of just use other people's money to make money for you, <laughs> right? Uh, other people being the bank in this case. So yeah, have the mm -hmm. bank pay, right? Uh, and give you money, use other people's money. Um, so with that, there's something called an amortization period where there's interest on this, say a hundred thousand dollar loan, right? Uh, mortgage. So there's interest off it, but every payment goes, I think 95% of goes off paying interest and then 5% goes off paying the actual loan itself. And then mm -hmm. over 30 years, the 95% decreases over time. And then eventually you're starting to pay off more and more of your home. And it's kind of like yeah. a, a hockey stick, right? Um, when, when you hit like year two, three, four, five, that's a hockey stick. So that's why people say don't sell your homes until um, until three minimum five years, um, because you don't actually own that much based on mortgage payments alone. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
So for your listeners, it would be an amortization schedule that what they that's what they would look up. Got it. Okay. I like this first segment on just like justifying it mentally um, from a security standpoint, from a cash flow standpoint, getting comfortable with what taking out a loan is, making your money work for you. And then I guess the next step is you would do your market research and so on to select a house, right? Right. And then the next step would be market research, right? Um, is what is it viable in this location? The thing is, some people uh, don't necessarily want the big city because that's the crowd you're going to bring in. So it's a little bit more headache because it's more party people, right? Um, some people just want like the weddings or the families that come in. So it just depends on who you want to target as well. If it's um, some people just have an extra property laying around, it's like it's just sitting there, turn into an Airbnb. So it just depends on people. Um, what their goals are. Uh, but yes, do the market research. There's a, a website called AirDNA, um, which aggregates all the Air, Airbnbs and VRBOs in a specific location in an area, so zip code. Um, it aggregates all the data um, and it shows you their occupancy rates. Uh, it shows mm-hmm. you how much they're charging, um, their daily rates. Um, yeah, so AirDNA, that's, that's where... Um, I suggest people do their research and get their research from. Are there any other key areas that people should be looking at, which is, you know, basically like non-negotiable, these three things need to be positive before you make the decision? That That's a good question. So again, um, if you are a, uh, you're, this is your first home, you know, then yeah, I would look at cities, right? So uh, who you have to ask the question, who actually comes to the city? Um, for Fort Wayne, Indiana, it's like super random, but we have sporting events. We have the Coliseum. We have conferences. Uh, again, I'm right across the street from a wedding um, place, right? So weddings. So those are the people that come to visit Fort Wayne, Indiana. That being said, mm. who actually shows up, right? It's like it's all those people. But during the weekday, it's construction workers, people that have mm. projects going on. And instead of I think legally you have to get each person a, a room like a hotel room, but instead of paying 300 bucks um, for a hotel room for three people get an Airbnb for like 150, right? And they get their home room and they get a kitchen and they get, you know, like, so we have repeat customers uh, for, for that, which is really interesting. Where, where are your homes located and um, how do you manage each one? And yeah, yeah, that, this might be a loaded question too, but maybe if you can talk to how you like built from the first one to quickly go into the second one, what that <laughs> was like too. Right. So uh, the where are they located? Um, they're located in the O5 area, okay, of Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, with a uh-huh. about a mile radius of Lakeside Park. So Lakeside mm-hmm. Park is a again, a park where weddings happen and people get engaged. And um, it's just a gorgeous park within the Fort Wayne area. So that's my target is, is that. So it's an hour radius of that park. Um, too easy, right? Uh, and then um, as far as how I got the first one and scaled quickly to a second one, well, number one, I live in a van. Number two, <laughs> Um, so I don't have expenses. Like I'm not paying rent, <laughs> right? Number two is, yeah. Um, I'm single and I don't have a wife or kids, right? So I have more mm-hmm. freedom with my finances. Um, 
and number three, this is actually interesting, right? Because um, if a 21 year old listens to this, I would not advise them or even encourage them to invest in an Airbnb as a 21 year old. Um, I would actually tell them to invest in education and coaching um, and learning a skill. So yeah. they, instead of making the $15 an hour or, you know, to $20 an hour at this good job for them, which is great. Um, yeah. Get, get a higher paying job that, you know, hit that six figures by the time you're 25 and work towards that skill. Mm. So as far as an investment standpoint, you are the best investment that you can make on yourself. Um, that being said, I've done that and I, I work at an amazing job, right? I am resourceful with my resources. So we bought the Airbnb, we cash flowed six months and like we're making two X the mortgage, three X the mortgage. And with that, we were then able to shift those finances into a second Airbnb. Um, I still had to put some of my personal down. It wasn't all business related, uh, but I was able to do that. Wow. Okay, then. And again, I like that you came back to investing in your own skills because that yourself is the most sustainable investment you can make. Right. Right. So I, I like that you pointed to that. Okay. Wow. So it seems like going to the second one was pretty like easy then, would you say? Uh, it's never easy. It's, it's always, okay. <laughs> uh, it's always doing your research, trusting, trusting that you did your due diligence, um, and having numbers to back up. Um, yeah, so it's never easy. Uh, it was less stressful because we had already gone through the process. Um, yeah. Right. And I guess you kind of are building positive momentum with it too. Kind of like learning everything from the first one. Let's go ahead and like put this in the second one and then keep scaling from there. Um, Absolutely. Fail often, right? Fail often, uh, stumble and be humble when you stumble, right? Learn the, learn the lessons. Wow. So since you're traveling in a van, how are you managing all these or these homes? Do you have like a property manager? How does... How does that work? That's a good question. So I've spent about, with the exception of um, like, yeah. So I spend about an hour a week maybe doing Airbnb stuff. And that's just making sure okay. that cleaners show up. Um, if the Airbnb guests tell me something's broken, then I send someone out to fix whatever's broken, right? And that's about it. So I don't have a property manager wow. um, because I talk to every guest. It's all automated. Uh, not only that, but we have a cleaning crew. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so, um, yeah, people use Turno. Um, so it's like this cleaning website that uh, syncs on to um, the Airbnb app and VRBO apps. And, yeah, they use Turno. And basically when someone books, then a project goes out to the marketplace. Uh, people who are in the Turno marketplace who are cleaners, they bid on that project. And then by the time um, the bidding stops, they can actually accept and move on from there. Uh, the, the project, you give them access code, you tell them what to do, they go in, they clean the place, then they leave. Oh, oh wow. That's like so it's super simple. Super simple, super automated, not hard at all. Very uh, smart. I take that back. I, I take that back. It's nothing's easy. Everything's hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, it's just it's a process that doesn't take up too much time. It's what I'm communicating. 
Got it. Okay. And is it different people cleaning each time or do you build relations with like certain people who just crush it? Sure. Yeah. You're able to do the relationship aspect portion of it. Right. Um, I have people cleaning it each time uh, who, yeah, they're friends and, you know, they, they want some extra income. So it's like, yeah, here you go. Right. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And, and then you said, okay, so I guess the cleaning part takes up a large um, amount of maintenance, it seems. And then as far as, I mean, so I guess this is much different than a long-term rental then where like maybe you'd be more concerned on like the air conditioner going out or like things like that, or like whether right. a resident is damaging the home or something. Cause right. yeah. So are your Airbnbs, is it more like get in, get out over a weekend? type of um setup yeah yeah uh, yes it's it's that get in get out right and then sometimes they break stuff right that's unfortunate yeah. um it happens right i have a broken window right now um so Got it. It, it happens uh airbnb um does have air cover which is basically insurance so they'll they'll cover mm. the hosts right um so they do a good job with that uh we're really well taken care of uh with that um that being said um uh, so for, for homes, it depends on who you want to be, right? But I just buy my homes turnkey. So what I'm looking for with a new home is the roof, the water heater, and the HVAC system um, has to be at least five years old or mm-hmm. at least um, newer. And yeah. the max I'll go is five because generally those are newer systems. So you don't have to work, worry about it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I look for. Got it. Okay, nice. And um, you said that you talk to your guests routinely. Is that just to stay up to date on what the condition of the home is like? They'll send you photos maybe? What is? Yeah, unless they have a problem, they won't send you anything. So if they have a problem, for example, we had an ant issue, didn't know about it. And they're like, hey, you have an ant issue. It's like, cool. So we just set up ant traps, right? Doesn't affect them. Doesn't affect us. We're good to go. Okay. And you just drive out to the home and do this? Uh, yeah, so I just have the cleaner um, do it, and oh. or I do have someone local that is a handyman, right? So it's like, hey, can you go out? And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it in an hour or something. Wow. Okay. Cool. So, how often would you say you have to actually go out to the property to make sure things are good? Like zero. Wow. And it's it's so interesting because it's different than like having your own home because you're probably cool like you know, not having full visibility into what's going on all the time because it's just a property. Right. right, right. And that being said, I care for it, right? Like yeah. I wanted to look nice and be nice and all that. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't have to come out here at all if I don't want to. Wow. Okay. Nice, man. I, I like this conversation. I feel like it's kind of building me up to make me feel more comfortable with the idea of like having property as a part of my investment portfolio. Sure. Um, so what, um, as far as finances go and actually like seeing that return, when, when do you really start kind of seeing the return of, um, the rent that's being paid or like the cash flow? Yeah. So, so it depends, right? When we think about investment and returns, um, so say you're investing about $30,000 to actually get the home. Um, it just depends on the market, depends on so many different things. I have created a model where you just insert it and then it will shoot out a projected time that you might get paid out for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So happy to share that with you. 
Um, but yeah. the first home would be we're going to see the return of it. We're already cash flowing positively, right? So let me let's back up. So a lot of people are focused on the return of investment, right? I am focused mm -hmm. here on positive cash flow because it's a business. Mm. Okay. So in a sense that, um, yes, you have that initial investment. You like, cool. You have the initial investment of getting the home, but that's going to be on in bucket number two, right? Of yeah. it's going to increase over time as the value of the home properties increase over time. Let's look at bucket number one, which is the cash flow, the operation portion of it. If you are positive cash flow, in other words, that all the expenses, what you're making and the expenses is like this, as in you're making more than all your expenses, that's positive cash flow. That's, that's good. Mm. <laughs> that's what you want. That's the passive income. Yeah. Right. So this is a business in the sense that you have an asset and you have cash flow. So for your investment questions, like when do you see a return on the investment? I am seeing an, a, a positive cash flow and that's my passive income stream. And then as far as the return of investment, yeah, like, you know, you buy the home for $200,000 and now it's worth 227,000 just because of that's how the market, right? So there's mm. a 10% increase, but the thing is it's hard cash. I can't take it out. I can't touch yeah. it. So it really doesn't, it, it matters, right? I want it to go up, but I can't touch yeah. it. I can touch the cash flow though. And this, and this adds to that concept you were talking about earlier on making your money work for you instead of thinking that you need money to pull out all the time. Cause it's like, you really don't, when you start adopting this mindset, you're growing your net worth with different types of assets. You don't need the money. Like you don't even want the money in the bank or in your hands. <laughs> right. So I exactly. And, and that's a good point. I do not touch the money from the Airbnb. Got it. Okay. You're just reinvesting. I don't touch it. It's in a separate account. I don't even see, it. I do see it, but like, I don't even, I yeah. don't touch it. Right. I, it's, it's, I made this initial investment and yeah. that's, that's that portion of it. And that's super important because it gets really messy when you start touching your businesses and you're mm. using your business as per, you lose track as to your, your spend. Right. Uh, um, right. Especially at this stage. Cause you're, you're what, like a year in now or Yep. 10, 10 months in. It's, it's wow. awesome. That that's a good rule to set for yourself too. on just not touching it. Like you probably shouldn't even start exploring that until you're like well off. Yeah. And, and if you do need to touch it, that's a different case. Right. Um, but mm. those are different questions that you need to ask yourself. It's like, Oh, where is my money going for my personal side of things? Right. Yeah. If this is your full-time gig, then yeah, you probably need to touch it. Right. Um, but yeah, the encouragement is to have a separate bucket entirely. Got it. Okay, cool. And, um, and if you want to cash out, only cashing out at specific times instead of mm. emergency times, right? Of like, oh, I really need cash now, um, which is fair. It's your money. You can do whatever you want on it. But maybe every quarter, that's when you cash out, right? And only a piece of it. Okay. I like these rules. Um, right. Okay. I, I had a, a question too. Like, why do you think that... Um, why did buying Airbnbs, why was that where you allocated your energy to? Like, not just since going sober, but just, I don't know, of the past year, you seem like somebody who 
wants to have a positive impact, you know, like inside of your life, why is Airbnb the focus right now? Yeah. So it's interesting because I've, I've played around with different investments, right? So mutual bonds, like just different types of investments, stocks. Um, and although those are like, I don't know. I've actually lost money on all those. <laughs> I know people make <laughs> money, right? So I just don't know what I'm doing, I suppose, which is fine. But it just wasn't fun for me. Um, and it wasn't, in my opinion, a, yeah, a fun asset. It's not even an asset. I guess it's an asset, but it's, it's not a t tangible asset that I can touch. Like, even though I own a Tesla, right? Tesla stock. I don't own a Tesla car, a uh, Tesla stock. It's not tangible yeah. for me because I can't go to a Tesla store. And it's like, oh, I own this. This is, this is my crib. You know, this is my house, right? Yeah, like everything here is mine sure. because I own Tesla stock. It, it's just different. Um, for this home, I am. I'm literally in one of my Airbnbs right now. Yesterday I had a bunch of friends over and tomorrow we're renting it out. Like it has an nice. actual tangible purpose, right? Um, yeah. With it that I can pivot and use it as I need, but at the same time I'm cash flowing and making money off it. That's um, really nice. I, I feel like I learned a lot from this just on the inner workings of Airbnb getting a van gosh your lifestyle has just like completely revamped over <laughs> the past years um yeah do, is there anything else you wanted to add that maybe the audience can take away sure i mean um my my biggest encouragement is just discover who you are and who you want to become uh not so much what you want to do um because at the end of the day what what do i do airbnbs and live in a van right but that doesn't matter at the end of the day at the end of the day it's who, who does Edwin want to become and who is he becoming? Um, and for me, I want to be someone that equips, encourages, and empowers people uh, to pursue their greatness in life. Um, and I'm able to do that because of, again, just the resources that I, I use, the time, how I allocate it. Um, so that's that's my biggest encouragement to your, to your listeners. Okay. See, I, see, I was trying to get to that. So how... I guess if you could, and maybe you have like said it in your way, but it's just not clicking for me. Like how is who you are being reflected in doing like Airbnbs, like, you know, living van life? Is it because you're showing just you're pursuing a lifestyle that you resonate with or what? Yeah. So, so the Airbnb specifically, right. It's super interesting because my friends will give me a call. It's like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Can you walk me through it? So I'm equipping and empowering at that stage. Right. Um, in fact, I actually just yesterday, Saturday, um, we put in an offer, my buddy and I put in an offer on a, on a home, um, by him and he will be a, a an Airbnb owner now. Right. Um, so yeah, we, we went in together and I just get to, to walk wow. alongside them, um, and to build it because I'll also be on the title and on the, on the, on the loan. Right. So, um, just really exciting things that this is a family that I love dearly. Um, they have a baby, right. And they want to steward financially well. So wow. because of my experience and because of my experience, I get to walk alongside them, equip them, encourage them, empower them within their financial stewardship. And you, I, that excites me beyond nothing. I'm so excited yeah. just to, to walk alongside them. Right. And to like, I get to spend more time with them. It, that's a joy in and of itself. Yeah. Right? 
So that's what I mean by you have skills, you have a story, you have um, a skill set. So how can you use that to fulfill your mission? Wow. Again, for me, it's to equip, encourage, and to empower. But if you don't even know your why, if you don't even know who you are, then you're just going to be lost and say yes to a hundred different things. Beautiful. Uh, I'm so happy that you tied that together before we close out here. Um, and I love how you're anchoring your business decisions and you're tying it in with where you're coming from, from a, like a moral purpose fulfillment standpoint, because you can have it all. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like you just developed a business partner, but it came from a place of wanting to equip and empower them. So right. it's like everybody benefits at that point, which is just, um, which is a really good guide, um, for people, right. I think. Absolutely. So. Hey, I, I do appreciate you having me on and, and can't wait to listen to this and share it. It's, uh, it, it's fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. Sweet. Hey, cheers. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this story fully. I really appreciated the opportunity to understand Edwin in this way. And there's a lot to gain from his experience by focusing on who you are and who you want to be first. And then that can be a great guide to living an aligned path that results. If you enjoyed this story, I encourage you to check out others and stay tuned for bi-weekly episodes. I'm also a practicing life coach offering one-on-one -on -one services that help you bridge the gap from where you are to where you want to be. So feel free to check out readranky.com to learn more. Thanks.